One preaching professor said you ought to find a good illustration for each sermon and park it there and leave it. Don't ever tell it again. Well, I've told you this story, but I have to tell it again today. A good many years ago, Amy and I were seated in the rafters of the old Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Every single seat in that arena was full. Elton John came to the stage with a roar of applause, and as he played, we all screamed. And then Billy Joel appeared, and we screamed some more. It went on for two hours, and then both of those piano men came on the stage. Each sat down at an eight-foot grand piano, those instruments being mated together with the keyboards facing one another. After performing several songs, they concluded the concert with one of Billy Joel's biggest hits. When they got to that final chorus, they stopped playing and they turned to the audience and in unison, the largest choir you have ever heard bellowed. Everyone sang in full-throated joy, sing us a song, you're the piano man, sing us a song tonight. For we're all in the mood for a melody, and you've got us feeling all right. It was amazing, magical. There were chill bumps in the air. Electricity tingled every spine. I'm sure I am not the only person who found something emotional, downright mystical in that moment. 85,000 people sang praise to that experience in a unison voice that drowned out all differences. No one was rich in that moment, nobody poor. No one was white or black, gay or straight, liberal or conservative. Encompassed by the moment, in the thrall of something bigger than we were, we sang. There was a tangible spirit in the air. I had that same ecstasy, that same feeling, standing on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, 4,000 feet above the canyon floor. There's no better way to visualize what a billion years looks like than looking out across that vast canyon. Each strata is a millennium in the making, and the Colorado River far below just keeps on keeping on. But even standing there, seeing it with your own eyes, it just makes no sense. You cannot take it in. The awe just makes you want to raise your hands or hit your knees or find another song to thunder across the inconceivable distance. Wow. Just unspeakable, wow. That feeling, some primal urge to bow before the beauty or cry out beneath the mystery of magnificence may be why Sanderson Jones and Pippa Evans started the Sunday Assembly in London in 2013. Dubbed Atheist Church, Within a few years, Sunday Assembly had been replicated in about 50 locations around the world. There's one in Charlotte that started a few years ago. People who may say they don't believe in much of anything gather because they have some need to sing together. 
to pause for moments of silence together, to listen to a spoken message together, to be inspired by the bigness of being together, together. And I wonder if they feel it when they gather, that something, that something bigger than the moment, that bigness, that moreness, that withinness, that quietness which screams out into every silence. I wonder if even there they feel that something which feels like electricity and smells like mystery, that sounds like rapture and tastes like the tears of every part of being human, but just looks like a bunch of ordinary people randomly sorted into the nearness of each other. I wonder if they come together so they can experience something else. And the psalmist of ancient Israel said, How good it is to sing praises, so sing with thanksgiving, make melody on the lyre. There are those moments for those who think about it all and for those who do not, for those who believe and for those who disbelieve, for those who look for those moments and for those who are caught off guard by them. There are those moments that will bend you down in humble awe, that will fill you with overflowing joy Moments that will still you with disquieting majesty. There are those moments. The Psalms were guides for worship. They were used as prayers and hymns. Today's Psalm is a Psalm of praise. It's a hymn of praise, Psalm 147. Before I read it though, let me say a word about it. This Psalm itself contains the standard pattern of the hymn of praise. The Psalm has three stanzas, each of which opens with a call to praise and then continues by recounting the reasons for praise. What should be noted about the call to praise it, it is that it is quite literally a call for a response as well. The audience is called upon to open our mouths, lift our voices, and join in the psalmist's joyous song. The fact that the book of Psalms ends with five psalms that includes calls to praise, with a final psalm being Psalm 150 that is nothing but an extended call to praise, means that the audience is invited to sing those songs for the world. One commentary writer said, I spent a year in the Psalms. I wasn't studying them in my head or with my head. I was praying them from my heart. It gave me a voice for the cry of my soul, the angriness 
the anguish, the weariness, the joy, the sorrow, it's all there. What is remarkable is that no matter where the poet begins, he almost always ends in worship. This is no coincidence. It's where our journey must lead us. So listen now to some of Psalm 147, this hymn of praise. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. For God is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. The Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God determines the number of stars. God gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. The Lord's understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. God casts out the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Praise the Lord. You've heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. The Sunday after 9-11 was one of the biggest crowds in worship. It felt more like Easter or Christmas Eve, you know, those other big crowd occasions. So apparently it's in the highs and the lows of life that people feel compelled to gather in a place like this to either offer praise or cry out for help, whatever's called for in that moment. We like to gather to do that together. There's some kind of need to be together communally in the presence of God. It's kind of fascinating to me, though. The masses show up sporadically, not seeming to need more than a dose of worship here and there. And then there's the faithful remnant that shows up week in and week out, keeping things going with the regular weekly practice of worship, attending to the command, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not that you have to go to church on Sunday to keep the day holy, but it doesn't hurt, I guess, and it makes pastors everywhere extremely happy. Why do you worship? There are 82 devices on here. Last week we got up to about 105 at one point, knowing that those devices often represent more than just one person watching. We've got a good crowd gathered here in worship today. Why are you here? It's been said that all of life should be lived in the worship of God. We often speak of the experience of church as something that we do. Let's, let's go to church. Church isn't a place to go or something to do. Church is who we are. We are the body of Christ, followers of Jesus on a journey together to figure it all out and to do our part to make a difference. It's the same for worship. Worship isn't something we do. It's who we are. And our worship is offered in response to who we understand God to be and what we understand God to do. One can worship in solitude 
or in the company of the saints. For the purpose of today's conversation with the psalmist, when I refer to worship, I'm talking about what we're doing now together collectively. I miss our printed bulletin so, so much. It was a guide to putting the service together. You thought it was an aid to help you follow along and not get lost. No, it's an outline for us to craft a service of worship, each element holding equal value, praise and prayer, silence and confession and pardon, scripture and preaching, offering and blessing, each component especially crafted for the theme of the day as a way to point us all to God. We gather at this set time in this particular set way to try to renew and rejuvenate so that we can leave so that we can leave this corporate collective worship experience in order that we may take it with us when we leave and pray that it lasts until we gather again. If the pandemic has proven anything, for those of us that need this kind of time and this kind of space in our lives, well, then we have proven where there's a will, there's a way. We have worked hard. You have worked hard. We have gotten better at getting worship to you. You've gotten better at connecting to it. It's not the same, but we have collectively innovated and adapted, and it just feels like somebody needs to say it. Good job, us. All of us. I'm proud of us. The church is about so much more than this one hour of worship, but for the last year, this hour has seemed more important than ever. We can feel that from you. We sense it from within ourselves. The yearning, the desire, the need to gather together to worship God. Early on in our pandemic shutdown mode, when one of you said to us that this moment was just about the only normal thing in her life during the week, that was all of the boost of energy we needed to keep going, keep trying, keep learning I believe that worship may not be necessary to a life of faith, but it is important. Worship is not a have to, and yet it seems almost vital these days. And I pray that this sense of urgency that I feel and that probably most of those of you represented by the now 85 devices watching I pray that this sense of urgency will not leave us when these pandemic days end. There's something about the familiar, there's something about the ritual, there's something about the sights and sounds of worship that triggers something inside of us to keep going. Pascal called it the indelible God-shaped hole within each fallen human being. We have a God-shaped hole in us, and we gather for worship to try to fill that up with God. Barbara Brown Taylor, former pastor, preacher, writer, current writer, lecturer, talks about worship this way. 
Worship is the ongoing practice of faith, and not only the practice, but the actual experience of it. She says whether it takes place around a kitchen table or the carved marble altar of a great cathedral, worship is how the people of God practice their reliance on their Lord. Through liturgies of word and table, we do what we were created to do. We pray, we listen to God's word, we confess, we make peace, we lift up our hearts, we hold out our hands, we are fed, we give thanks, we go forth. We practice the patterns of our life together before God, rehearsing them until they become second nature to us. We expand our images of what it means to be human and what it means to be divine so that we are better able to live into the fullness of our heritage as sons and daughters of God. Here's what I think. There's something about singing together. The the psalmist says it. How good it is to sing praises to our God. There's something about singing together, especially when the room is full of people and we sing, all are welcome. The words get better and better as it goes. And by the time we get to the last verse, I'm usually still singing, but it doesn't sound real good because of by the time we get to the end, my voice is cracking too much. Let us build a house where all are named. Their songs and visions heard and loved and treasured, taught and claimed as words within the word. Built of tears and cries and laughter, prayers of faith and songs of grace. This is the one that gets me. Let this house proclaim from floor to rafter, all are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place. I can't help it. I get choked up every single time we sing it. You sing it with such gusto, like you really mean it. There's something about introducing a baby to her or his family of faith. We walk out among you holding this little one and telling her all about you and you all about him. We come back to the front and we lift the child into the air and offer a blessing. You are a child of God. I can't help it. I get choked up. There's something about stepping into those warm waters of baptism and hearing someone read the person's words about the whys of it all. And then we say, because of your desire to follow in the way of Jesus, we baptize you. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. I can't help it. I get choked up. There's something about sitting together in silence, having no idea what each other is offering to God in that moment, if anything, but knowing the moment to be holy. And then hearing those all-important words, you're loved, you're forgiven, so be at peace. I can't help it. I I get choked up. But it's not always the big moments or the special Sundays. Sometimes it's the progression of chords in the offertory. Sometimes it's just looking over your faces and seeing someone wipe a tear. Sometimes I know what the tear is about. 
Sometimes I don't. Sometimes you don't even know. But sometimes sitting here together elicits emotion that doesn't happen anywhere else. Sometimes it's a solo. Sometimes it's a trumpet. Sometimes it's the choir filling the room with unison sound or four-part harmony. Sometimes it's watching a parent explain to their child what's going on. And sometimes it's watching a child stand in the pew and hold their side of the hymnal and sing along pretending like they know how to read and then recognizing they're not pretending at all. That child is making a joyful noise to the Lord and that is always more than enough. Sometimes it's making eye contact with someone as we walk down the aisle speaking those good words of benediction as we go. And sometimes it's the little wave I give to the children who are sitting in their seats back right. One of them always waving and the other always wanting to, but acting shy and trying not to look at me. And yet she can't help herself but to take just a quick glance. Sometimes it's when something funny is said and you all belly laugh. I think I miss that most in worship, hearing you laugh when we do something dumb or we mess up or we say something intentionally funny and you don't laugh and we have to tell you that was the laugh line and you missed it and then you laugh. Jeff Palmer's laughing right now. Thank you, Jeff. In the middle of worship, we laugh. Frederick Beatner says about such things, a Quaker meeting, a pontifical high mass, the family service at Zion Episcopal, a holy roller happening. Unless there's an element of joy and foolishness in the proceedings, the time would be better spent doing something useful. I miss your laughter. I miss your tears. I miss your presence gathered with ours in the presence of God in these holy moments of worship. Have I made you homesick yet? It's all of these moments in worship, strung together week after week, month after month, year after year, that helps us to understand who we are and what our calling is for the world. For a year, these moments have looked different, and yet... Here we are, still worshiping God together. To go back to Beatner, he says that worship, to worship means to serve God. He goes on to explain that there are basically two ways to serve God, meaning there are two ways to worship. One way is to do things for God that God needs to have done. Run errands for God, carry messages for God, fight on God's side, feed God's lambs, so on. That's one way to worship. The other way is to do things for God that you need to do. Sing songs for God, create beautiful things for God, give things up for God, tell God what's on your mind and in your heart, and in general rejoice in God. All of that is worship. Henry Nouwen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. Just let that sink in for a minute. Henry Nouwen asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. Here's what she told him to do. Spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord. 
and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine, she said. One hour each day in adoration of your Lord? Yikes, that's a lot. Well, we've had our hour for today. And I, for one, am glad I needed it. Now let us go from this place and all of your places ready to serve the Lord. May it be so. Amen.